in today's video, we are going to be looking at actual newspaper clippings and the actual lawsuits that were filed after Elvis's death to finally answer the infamous question, who killed Elvis Presley? The night before Elvis died, he and Ginger were back in their Graceland home. Graceland, by the way, was in Memphis, Tennessee. It was named Graceland because Elvis bought it from somebody who had named the property Graceland after her aunt. Elvis just kept the name, so that's why it's called Graceland. It's kind of like a Michael Jackson Disney World kind of acreage. Elvis and a woman named Ginger came back to Graceland to prepare for the next day when Elvis was set to go on tour. That night, Elvis was playing racquetball. He was in a great mood. Nothing seemed different different about Elvis. He didn't seem tired. He didn't seem sick. A few days prior to his death, Elvis had actually proposed to Ginger. A lot of people called Ginger the girlfriend of Elvis Presley at the time, but she was actually Elvis's fiance. Elvis was going to announce this engagement at his show in Memphis, Tennessee on stage, but he never got the chance to because on August 16th, 1977, Ginger came into the bathroom and found Elvis dead. And Elvis and I went upstairs, and Elvis turned on the television in his room to relax for a little while. And I asked Elvis if he still wanted to play racquetball, which he had mentioned playing earlier. And he said yes. Elvis got in touch with Billy Smith. Billy and his wife, Joe, came up at about 4.30. We went down to play racquetball, and then went and played the piano. It was about 6 o'clock when we went back into Graceland. At about 6.30, Elvis called downstairs for Ricky Stanley to bring up his packet of medication to help him get to sleep. Ricky brought it up. Elvis took his packet of medication and started reading a book. Then I fell asleep. So at about 8 o'clock, I woke up because Elvis was restless, saying that he just couldn't sleep. So he called downstairs for Ricky again, and Ricky came up and brought up uh, another packet of medication. A second packet. Right. Elvis took that, and then I went back to sleep. The third time, I was awakened again. Elvis was starting to get up, saying that he still couldn't sleep. He took the book with him and he started toward the bathroom door. And I said, no, don't fall asleep. And he turned and smiled at me and said, oh, okay, I won't. Then he went to the bathroom. I went back to sleep and I slept until two o'clock. At that time I rolled over and I looked at the clock and it said two o'clock then. And the bathroom door was still shut. So at that time I went in and I knocked on the door and no one answered. So I opened the door and that was when I saw Elvis. After a period of time trying to resuscitate Elvis, he was declared dead at Baptist Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. By this time, so many crowds had gathered around the hospital because they knew that Elvis had been admitted that they thought it was a little too risky to move Elvis's body from Baptist Hospital to another location for the autopsy. So they decided to keep Elvis at Baptist Hospital where eight different doctors started to perform a full-blown autopsy on Elvis. All eight doctors who performed the autopsy came to the same conclusion. There were no signs of visible injury or illness that could have caused Elvis's death. They did take some samples of Elvis's bone tissue. There were over 10 types of different prescription drugs in Elvis's system when he died. These eight doctors basically just ruled out injury or illness, but said that the death needed to be further investigated. The person who actually signed Elvis's death certificate was a man named Dr. Jerry Francisco. Dr. Jerry Francisco looked at the autopsy report, did his own analysis, determined that Elvis died of a heart attack. This was a little controversial because the eight doctors had said there needed to be further investigation and they had ruled it was not a heart attack, not any illness. They said that the arteries were blocked in Elvis's heart, but not to the point that it would have caused a heart attack. They said that he was years and years away from even having heart disease be an issue for him. So it was very controversial that Dr. Jerry Francisco came forward and just determined that it was a heart attack without consulting the eight doctors who did the autopsy without doing further investigative analysis. He literally just looked at the report where they said it was inconclusive and concluded it was a heart attack. The 
preliminary phases of the autopsy have been completed and the cause of death is cardiac arrhythmia due to undetermined causes. People felt like he had rushed the process, rushed signing the death certificate, rushed concluding a cause of death without actually doing the due diligence that Elvis deserved. When Dr. Jerry Francisco made the very first interview where he was saying that Elvis died of a heart attack, this was immediately accepted by all of Elvis's family, friends, and fans. In fact, a lot of people felt a lot of comfort that they finally had an answer as to why Elvis had died because he actually didn't sign the death certificate until two months after Elvis's death, which is not completely uncommon. It can take some time to go through the whole process and the whole autopsy report. It, it was a little sketchy to people that it was two months, but it's also not totally unheard of that there could be that type of a lag. One of the eight doctors finally came forward and did an interview. He said, point blank, I do not believe that Elvis died of a heart attack. Were you surprised by Dr. Francisco's announcement that he had died of cardiac arrhythmia? Personally, yes, I was surprised. In my opinion, I did not see any evidence of a heart attack. It was really after that doctor gave that interview, people started getting a little suspicious. They were finally hearing from these other doctors. The autopsy did not determine a heart attack. Dr. Jerry Francisco determined heart attack. It's important to note the death report that was released by Dr. Jerry Francisco was not the autopsy report. Per Tennessee law, the full death certificate and autopsy report was not made public. There was a limited report that was public. That's what I'm going to be referring to in the next section going forward. The autopsy report and the full death certificate should be made public in the year 2027 because it was per Tennessee law, that that be kept private for 50 years after Elvis's death. So the death report was kind of a limited autopsy report. It showed that they observed two abnormalities on his body. One was an incision on his rib cage that had been stitched up. The other was just kind of like a darkened eye, kind of. It wasn't like anything super serious, but they just noted it. The biggest thing that was noted was the incision on his rib cage. This was from Dr. Jerry Francisco's report after the eight doctors had done their autopsy. So you could surmise this incision was from the autopsy because they were going in and they were examining his heart, they were examining the arteries, they were trying to determine if he died of a heart attack. People were arguing it was very suspicious he would have had this type of incision. Because this type of incision was lower on the rib cage, then people argued would be needed to look at the heart. If they were looking at the heart during the autopsy, the incision would have been higher up on Elvis's chest. The incision was reportedly between the second and third rib. This type of incision is typically made when people are trying to drain fluid from somebody's lungs. This could be because the person has pneumonia or bronchitis or any kind of fluid buildup in their lung from another type of illness. This type of incision is also commonly used to treat people with lung cancer. It is also not impossible that this type of incision could be used to take a look at the heart and the aorta. I'm not a doctor, so don't ask me any other questions about that incision. That was a really big point of discussion amongst Elvis's fans. Why did they do that type of incision if he died of a heart attack? Some people even argued the incision was so misplaced it couldn't have been Elvis's body that went through the autopsy. People believe it was somebody else's body that had the autopsy and they were telling everybody that that was Elvis. Another theory that went around is that that Elvis had had some type of surgery for his lungs previous to his death. Nothing in his medical records or that his doctors say or that his friends and family say supports that theory.
theory that Elvis had some type of surgery before his death. Elvis's fiance, Ginger, was asked point blank in 1978, did Elvis do drugs? And she said no. He took prescription drugs that he needed. There was a really big movement in the 1970s for people to take pharmaceutical pills to help them with everyday things. So this was not unusual for Elvis to be prescribed sleep medication or stimulants to stay awake. And even today, you still see people being given pharmaceutical drugs, like for anti-anxiety or anti-depression. So this is still happening today. I just think it's to a lesser degree than it was in the 70s. In the 70s, they were a little slap happy with the prescription meds. It was kind of thought like, well, what's the problem? If it's being prescribed, it must be okay, right? But it's important to note again that none of these were illegal. In fact, Elvis was very, very against illegal drugs. In the last seven months of Elvis's life, he was prescribed over 5,000 pills. Some of these pills included sedatives, tranquilizers, and stimulants. Elvis did not just have one doctor. He actually had a couple doctors, but he did have one primary doctor who kind of tracked everything. One doctor would give him a certain number of stimulants, a certain number of sleeping pills, and then Elvis would go to another doctor and say, I need stimulants, I need sleeping pills. They would give him a limited number, but when you combined all of the pills that all of the different doctors were giving him, he had an enormous amount of prescription pills. Elvis's primary doctor was a man named Dr. George Nicopolis, who Elvis and his family and friends referred to as Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick was more than just a primary doctor for Elvis. He was also kind of a friend. He actually borrowed over hundreds of thousands of dollars from Elvis for personal investments and personal success. So not only was Dr. Nick indebted to Elvis, but Elvis was Dr. Nick's primary source of income. You could imagine if you were Dr. Nick, you would be a little hesitant to say no to Elvis anytime he asked you for something given that he was paying you so much money it's possible that uh, the drugs that he had in the system could have come from a couple of people that were working with him at the time and it's also possible that he may have uh, medications that he had put back some at, at some time or other after all of this information started coming out about all of the drugs found in Elvis's system and how one of the eight doctors had his interview where he said he believed it was drugs that caused his death, this opened a whole can of worms of questions, lawsuits, and endless accusations. In September of 1979, two men from the ABC network decided to sue the Medical Examiner's Board of Tennessee and Dr. Jerry Francisco, the man who signed the death certificate. Their names were Charles Thompson and James Cole. They were working on a 20 2020 special investigating the death of Elvis Presley. They believed they should release the full autopsy report. Now remember, it was Tennessee law that this be kept private. So by suing the Medical Examiner's Board and Dr. Jerry Francisco, they were essentially suing the state of Tennessee. So it's kind of an interesting lawsuit to begin with, kind of doomed from the beginning. However, this did play out and it did go to a hearing where Elvis's bodyguard and primary doctor were both subpoenaed to testify in this hearing. It was kind of weird because Elvis's primary doctor and bodyguard were trying to dismiss the subpoena and were really fighting to not testify in this hearing. They both argued that if they were to testify in the hearing, it would be completely irrelevant to the entire case. I'm not sure how being Elvis's primary doctor and testifying to a cause of death could be irrelevant in a case like this, but they were arguing that this was simply between the ABC network and the medical board of examiners fighting over a piece of documentation. They didn't believe that they had anything to add to 
to that conversation. The attorney for Elvis's bodyguard actually argued that if the bodyguard were to testify in this case, it would quote, inhibit his ability to write a book about Elvis because at the time he was writing a book about Elvis. So I don't know what's more important, testifying to a cause of death or writing a book. Obviously writing the book was more important than testifying. Charles and James who were with ABC were both arguing if the autopsy report were to be released, it would be determined that Elvis died from drugs, not from a heart attack. Make things even more confusing, in this book that the bodyguard was writing, he actually wrote that Elvis was dying of bone cancer, which is something that had not been brought up before. This book actually wasn't published until 1991, I believe, but at the time he had an outline of the book, he was working to get it published, and in November of 1979, the Times newspaper actually got a hold of the outline for the book and reported a few excerpts that mentioned bone cancer. The bodyguard wrote that Elvis's death at that moment in time was, quote, a very kind deliverance. He went on to write that he would have died months later if he hadn't died of a cardiac arrhythmia. His eventual death would have been slow, excruciatingly painful, and intolerable to witness. And then he literally says Elvis had bone cancer. Nobody's really sure that Elvis had bone cancer. It didn't seem to be in any of the records. His personal doctor never testified to that. Ginger never mentioned anything like that. Is it possible that in the autopsy, when they took a fragment of the bone tissue and found the traces of drugs in his system, they also found cancerous cells? That's 100% possible. I don't know how the bodyguard would have known that, unless maybe the immediate family did obtain the autopsy report and he overheard them talking about it. It'll be very interesting in 2027 when everything is supposedly going to be released if we can see if he actually did have bone cancer or not. Now, in the same month that these ABC journalists were suing the Medical Board of Examiners, the Board of Medical Examiners were also suing his primary doctor, Dr. George Nicopolis. They were accusing Dr. George Nicopolis of prescribing too many pills to Elvis. One month after the Board of Medical Examiners sues Dr. George Nicopolis, another lawsuit emerges on behalf of a man named Ronnie Gerard. Ronnie Gerard was a fairly prominent leasing agent in Memphis, Tennessee. He sadly died at the age of 39 from a heart attack. If you remember, Elvis was 42 when he died. Ronnie Gerard's primary doctor was also, you guessed it, Dr. George Nicopolis. Ronnie Gerard's attorney was suing Dr. George Nicopolis, accusing him of negligence and of prescribing way too many pills to Ronnie Gerard. At the end of the day, Dr. George Nicopolis was not only charged with negligence in Ronnie Gerard's case, he was also charged with negligence in Elvis Presley's case, having prescribed too many pills to him, as well as another singer named Jerry Lee Lewis and 15 other people. So apparently Dr. George Nicopolis was pretty notorious for prescribing too many prescription pills to people. Pharmaceutical drugs were everywhere in the 70s. In fact, a few months before all of this happened with Elvis, there were actually ongoing criminal investigations into other doctors who were prescribing too many pharmaceutical pills to patients. This was really the culture in America at that time. I think Elvis and Johnny Cash, but especially Elvis, really brought to light this issue of doctors being a little bit too slap happy with pharmaceutical pills. It really started a broader discussion in America of who is allowed to prescribe prescription medicine, how much should be prescribed, and how much is actually good for the patient. Now, the charges against Dr. George Nicopolis were not criminal charges, they were civil charges, but he was still required to testify in a hearing between himself and the Board of Medical Examiners, where they were going to decide whether or not his license should be suspended or revoked. Ultimately, the board decided to suspend his license for three months. 
reasons. I think there were a couple reasons why they didn't completely revoke his license. Number one, Elvis had multiple doctors. Dr. George Nicopolis might not have been privy to all of the other pills that were coming Elvis's way. Also, Dr. Nick, as they called him, was not the one actually administering these pills to Elvis. If you remember in the very beginning, Elvis called his assistant that night, asked his assistant to bring up his sleeping pills. Another reason why I think they didn't completely revoke his license was because Dr. Nick testified that he was aware Elvis kept asking and assisting on obtaining these medications. Dr. Nick said he didn't want Elvis to take too many, so he would often give Elvis placebo pills. The fact that Dr. Nick was willing to give Elvis placebos and the fact that he did that quite often proved that Dr. Nick did have his best interest in mind. And another reason why I think that they did not revoke his license is because Dr. Jerry Francisco was testifying in all of these hearings. He did not believe drugs played a role in Elvis's death. While all of these lawsuits were playing out, Dr. Jerry Francisco, the man who signed the death certificate, started saying that he was not the county medical examiner. He was acting as a private consultant to Baptist Hospital. Now, I don't know if being a private consultant versus a county medical examiner had any impact on what they could or could not charge him with. In every single article, movie, documentary that you see about this, Dr. Jerry Francisco is reported as the county medical examiner. And I think that that's because he was acting in that capacity and he signed the death certificate, which is what the county medical examiner would do. But he insists that was not the case. In these hearings, he also kind of elaborated on what he saw and what his conclusion was of Elvis's state at the time of death. He did acknowledge that there were over 10 different drugs in Elvis's system at the time. However, he elaborated that only four of them showed up in a significant quantity. He did not believe that these four could have played any role in his death. He stuck to his guns. It was a heart attack, a random heart attack. The hearing between Dr. Nick and the board of medical examiners lasted over a week and it only took an hour for the board to come to the conclusion to suspend his license for three months. The lawsuit between the journalists at ABC and the board of medical examiners lasted way, way longer. It lasted three years, actually made its way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ultimately upheld the decision by Shelby County, which was that the board of medical examiners and Dr. Jerry Francisco were not obligated to make public the full reports of Elvis Presley's autopsy. Like I said, that lawsuit was just kind of doomed from the beginning because it is Tennessee law, things like that not be made public. They did decide it would be made public, but 50 years after his death, 5-0. But it wasn't until 1982 that was finally settled. After all of these lawsuits, the world entered a period of mourning, anger, and denial. Many people believe, due to the conflicting reports between the autopsy report and the death report of Dr. Francisco, the death didn't actually happen. If it had happened, why was this so confusing and why were there so many different versions of the story? Many people also thought that the weird positioning of the incision on Elvis's chest was another indication they were just making stuff up. One of the biggest theories was Elvis was a federal agent. He had to join the witness protection program due to a deal going south. There was one person who said that he saw a black helicopter hovering over Graceland a few hours before Elvis's death. Some people said that this was reported in the Sun newspaper. I looked at every newspaper and I did not see a single article covering this. I think that this came from a book actually written by an ex-Los Angeles sheriff. He said he saw a black helicopter hovering over Graceland, that it was a government helicopter. He would know what a government helicopter looked like because he was an ex-sheriff. This sighting of the helicopter 
helicopter was supported by a few people who worked at the Memphis International Airport who reported a man coming into the airport who looks like Elvis booking an international flight under the name John Burroughs. John Burroughs was the name that Elvis would use when checking into hotels to be incognito. A few years prior, Elvis had actually been given a badge by President Nixon. On December 21st, 1970, Elvis boarded an American Airlines flight to Washington, D.C. He wrote on American Airlines stationery a six-page letter to President Nixon. In this letter, he told President Nixon how scared he was for the future of the country. He was really worried specifically about techniques that were being used to brainwash people into believing that communism was a good thing. He saw the dangers of communism and he wanted to educate the youth on that. He was very, very passionate about stopping this brainwashing from happening to American youth. On top of being very against these brainwashing techniques, he was also very against the use of illegal drugs. He was coming to President Nixon saying, look, the youth love me. They idolize me. They're the ones being brainwashed by this communist agenda and these illegal drugs. I believe that I can really help this cause. I can help combat illegal drugs. I can help combat this brainwashing because they don't see me as somebody who's part of the system. He really wanted to restore a sense of pride in the American flag. He felt with all of this communist brainwashing, they were trying to make the youth hate the American flag and everything that it stood for. Elvis was very, very scared of this. He wrote a six-page letter detailing out all of his concerns and requesting he become a federal agent at large. That sentence kind of became a joke at the White House and outside of the White House. People thought Elvis was saying to President Nixon, I want to be a federal agent at large. Like that is the title that he wanted. I think what Elvis was trying to say was just a federal agent like outside on the field at large. I think that's what he was trying to say, but it kind of became a joke that Elvis didn't know what he was talking about. Elvis actually had a fascination with law enforcement. Every town that Elvis would sing in, he would try to go to the police department and take home a police badge as a souvenir from the town. Collecting police badges was kind of his hobby. I think that's also why he was asking for some kind of credentials from the White House. He wanted his own badge. I think he just thought it was really cool. Now Ginger, his fiance, kind of laughed and said that Elvis wanted the badge because he thought if he had a badge, then he could go across any border into any country with any pharmaceutical drugs that he wanted. <laughs> I don't know if that was true. She was kind of laughing when she said it. Either way, I think there were probably multiple reasons why Elvis wanted a police badge. Either way, he writes this letter to Nixon and he shows up at the White House at eight o'clock in the morning, goes in, gives the letter to the White House staff. The White House staff goes into a complete frenzy because Elvis Presley just came to the White House asking to meet with the president. In the letter that Elvis wrote to President Nixon, he says what hotel he is staying at, the name that he gave the hotel, which was John Burroughs, the name of his assistant, and how long he was planning to be in Washington, D.C. And he also basically said that he would stay in Washington until he could meet with President Nixon. On this day, there was a man named Bud Krogh who was working at the White House. He was a senior staffer for President Nixon. He was in charge of figuring out all of the logistics to get Elvis into this meeting. Because there's no transcript or recording of Elvis's meeting with President Nixon, it is really Bud Krogh's recollection that we have to go off of. Bud Krogh addressed a crowd in, I believe it was like a 45 minute speech, the events of that day and everything that he remembers. I will link that YouTube video in the description below. He basically said that Elvis came in and was just telling President Nixon how passionate he was. He kept saying over and over how much he loved America and he wanted to help America. And then he also mentioned that he would love to have some credentials. Bud said that Elvis didn't push the request for the credentials, but he does say that Elvis 
said I would like to have some credentials. But the very end of the meeting with President Nixon, Nixon kind of pointed to one of his staffers, made kind of a joke and said, could we get this guy a badge? This guy goes and he gets Elvis this badge that is a legit badge. It literally says on the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, which was the organization that eventually became the DEA. Elvis takes this badge, gets a picture, shaking hands with President Nixon. Elvis had requested that this meeting be kept completely private. Nobody knew that this meeting even happened until the end of 1972. At that time, they thought, let's just go public with this. I think it would be really good for Nixon, for people to see him with Elvis. It would really help his image, help him with the youth. Elvis agreed, and the photo of Elvis and President Nixon went public, along with the letter that Elvis wrote. Now, there's nothing proving one way or the other, but doesn't seem like Elvis was an actual agent. Obviously, to become an actual agent, it takes years of training and experience. You don't just walk into the office and become an agent. I don't think. Maybe you could. Maybe you could. Elvis went around for years saying that he was an agent. He believed that he was, I guess. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. This is still up for debate. Either way, when this picture came out of Elvis with President Nixon, the entire public believed Elvis was a federal agent. In fact, the picture of Elvis with President Nixon in the Oval Office is the most requested picture from the National Archives. Of course, that Los Angeles sheriff who said that he saw the black helicopter, he ends up writing a book called The Presley Arrangement. He talks all about the government agency and Elvis's involvement in the government agency. Many people classify this book as fiction, but read it for yourself and let me know what you think. I'll put a link to the book in the description below. So of course, once Elvis dies, everyone is remembering this 1972 photo op. They are remembering that Elvis had a badge, that he was a federal agent. And then you hear the stories from the Memphis International Airport and the helicopter. People are kind of putting things together saying he must have been involved in something. His safety must have been an issue. People did not believe he died. Now, all of this information and the theory that Elvis was still alive was further supported because of a picture that was posted from his funeral where Elvis is in the casket and looks remarkably young. When Elvis died, he was obviously 42. He was overweight. He was about 225 to 250 pounds. Ginger admits he would eat really fatty foods. He had gained weight. He was oversalting his food, so he was always puffy, bloated. When this picture comes out of Elvis in a casket, looking practically 28 years old instead of an overweight 42-year-old, people started thinking, wow, that looks fake. Now there's actually someone on YouTube who deep dove into this fake casket photo. I'm gonna link his whole video in the description below, but just to summarize, he went in and he actually interviewed the cousins of Elvis Presley. He interviewed one of the cousins named Wayne, who was brothers with Elvis's other cousin named Billy. At the funeral, Wayne was standing at the doors where people were walking into the public viewing, taking all of their cameras, requesting that they not take pictures. Wayne kept saying that it was out of respect for Elvis and his family, but people started thinking, did they just not want us to take a picture of a fake body in a casket? However, Billy, who was Elvis's cousin, had actually already made a deal with a magazine that he would go in and take exclusive photos of Elvis in the casket. He had supposedly obtained $18,000 from the National Enquirer to take these pictures. Because Wayne was taking away everybody's cameras and cameras were not allowed in the venue, Billy had to sneak in a camera. So Billy snuck in a very small camera. It was like maybe this big. Back then, for a camera to be that small, the chances of it taking a good photo are very, very low. <laughs> so the spa guys 
theory is that Billy tried to take the pictures with this really crappy camera. When he gave the camera to the magazine, the magazine tried to develop the photos and quickly realized that they couldn't develop them. This camera was so crappy and so small and so bad. So instead, the magazine photoshopped a picture of Elvis in the casket. Whether or not you believe that theory is up to you, but it's kind of interesting to see the interviews with Wayne. So like I said, I'll link his video in the description below. You can watch it in full for yourself. When this photo came out, everybody started talking about how fake it looked and how young Elvis looked in the casket. He obviously did not look like that in the weeks leading up to his death. He was much older and much fatter. And so a lot of people believed there was a wax dummy in the casket casket at Elvis's viewing, not Elvis himself. To add to this suspicion, Elvis's casket was 900 pounds. People started talking that the reason that the casket was so heavy was because there was some kind of a lining and cooling mechanism in the casket that was there to keep the wax figure from melting during the public viewing. Family and friends of Elvis argued back that the reason the casket was heavy was because it was pure gold. After the public viewing, there was a private ceremony at Graceland. Elvis wasn't buried, his casket was rather entombed in a mausoleum in Forest Hill Cemetery. A few weeks after Elvis was entombed in this cemetery, three men were actually charged with trying to steal Elvis's body from the tomb. It's unclear if they were trying to steal the body and hold it for ransom or if they were trying to prove that it wasn't Elvis in the casket. And it didn't take long after Elvis was entombed for sightings to begin happening. Of course, the first sighting was the day of his death where people at the Memphis International Airport reported John Burroughs taking an international flight. I can't go into every single Elvis sighting because there are so, so many. I will talk about probably the most notable and the most believable, which was the pool house photo. In December of 1979, a man was visiting Tennessee with his family. They decided to visit Elvis's tomb and he took pictures of Elvis's gravesite. They also decided to visit the Graceland property where he went to the pool house and took a picture outside of the house. Now, it wasn't until he had these pictures developed, because back then you had to actually develop photos, he realized there was a figure inside the door of the pool house, sitting on a couch past the screen door. He took a magnifying glass, zoomed in. The figure looked just like Elvis Presley. First of all, the picture of the person sitting behind the screen door is Al Strada. Okay, Al Strada was a gentleman that worked for us. After Elvis's death, he worked security for the estate. He was That's the picture guard. that comes with the hardcover that, that supposedly that is, is the picture of after him sitting behind in a chair sitting behind the screen door. Okay? That's, the first that's, I, that's the first I've heard that. that um, that's right, because nobody's harassed me. Yeah, anyway. well, I've been asking well, people. Well, now that he's told you. Well, I mean, I, I certainly would love to see what Al Strada looks like. I, would, yeah. I didn't bring a picture with me of him. I wish he's I had. Al I don't know where he was working for. Um, that's the picture we have. I can't see it real well. Right. But also, okay. can you see, somebody you tell go. me? There you go. Yeah. And Al Strada looks like Elvis Presley? Absolutely. In that hmm. shot. Well, you know what's interesting, glass. too? Let me ask another question. How about the gentleman? Who was the person that was well, hold on, the let's the, Hold on a second, Joe. Okay. Mike Joseph is on the phone from Chicago. Hi, Larry. Hi, Joe. Now, you took what picture, Mike? Yeah, I took the picture that uh, Gail is talking about. Now, let's throw that picture back up on screen. Okay. This picture obviously was taken after his death because according to the Kodak uh, scheme on that particular roll, there was a picture of the gravesite before it. Right. There okay. were two graves there. It was Elvis's and his mother's. And, okay, now... Uh, it was the, only the, the, uh, the, 
the grave area was open to the public. It was New Year's Day, 1978, when I shot that picture. Now, who is that in that picture? It was uh, they, not Elvis Presley? It is not Elvis Presley. Well, it changed my mind that I had met with a couple of uh, Elvis's friends, which uh, one of them was George Klein, who was also a friend, along with Joe Esposito. The only way you know that it's not him is that a friend of his said it wasn't him. George Klein told me it was his cousin, Jimmy, who Elvis never liked, and after Elvis supposedly died, Jimmy would then come around and hang around Graceland. Now, no, it's Joe, not Al it's Jimmy. Uh, well, who is it? One guy says it's Jimmy. Joe, you say it's Al Strada? Yes, I do. I think that it added to everyone's confusion and suspicions when there was this whole back and forth of was it his cousin Jimmy or was it Al, the groundskeeper? Again, conflicting report. People thought it was one of these people, then why is it so confusing? Why is why is there all of this conflicting information again? Just like with his death, all of this conflicting information. People believed again that the conflicting information was indicative of a cover-up. Even up to a few years ago, people had reported seeing a groundskeeper on the Graceland property who looked like Elvis with gray hair and people truly believe he was put in witness protection, flown away from America and that he came back and is undercover as a groundskeeper at his old house again. In December of 1990, the two ABC journalists who had gone through that three-year lawsuit with the Board of Medical Examiners, James Cole and Charles Thompson, actually wrote a book called The Death of Elvis, What Really Happened? In this book, they go through all of these theories in great detail. They also bring up another point about his death certificate. They argued it was possible Elvis actually wrote his own death report and signed his own death certificate. The year after this book came out, Mojave Community College had an entire day deep dive class into all of these investigations surrounding Elvis trying to determine if he was still alive or not. They had experts from law enforcement fly in from all over the country, document experts fly in from California, they had a Canadian government advisor, who was probably someone's brother-in-law, <laughs> come down with all of these FBI documents, and people traveled from all over the country to take this special class. Apparently, they had FBI files that showed Elvis in late 1976 had been complaining about a con man. This con man was probably a drug trafficker, part of some kind of a drug cartel. We all know that Elvis was passionate about combating illegal drugs. It's not out of the question that Elvis maybe got himself involved in some of these drug trafficking issues himself. In late 1976, they were arguing there was support that Elvis had been complaining about a man who was part of this cartel. Now, Elvis knew this man was being investigated. The man didn't know that Elvis knew. People think the man thought that Elvis was his friend and found out that Elvis knew that he was being investigated, probably found out that Elvis was giving them information about him. He was making threats towards him. Apparently, the day that Elvis died was the day before this man and his cartel were set to go in front of a grand jury. In this class, they also had a certified handwriting expert named Paul Weiss. He examined the letter, that six-page letter, saying how passionate he was about combating drugs, brainwashing techniques for communism. He studied that handwriting and compared it to the handwriting on the death certificate. He said, and I quote, We've got a very, very amazingly close match. I admit it doesn't prove anything, but it certainly makes you wonder, hey, did he write it? I'm going to put up a picture of the letter that Elvis wrote to President Nixon 
and next to that I'm going to put up the report that they were looking at and I want you to look at these two documents tell me what you think for decades people have believed they have seen Elvis whether they're in Bermuda whether they're in Costa Rica whether they're in Memphis Tennessee what do you think I want to know in the comments below do you think Elvis's death was a cover-up we still haven't answered that classic question who killed Elvis after going into all of this information do you think that it was Dr. George Nicopolis? Was it Elvis's staff member who had brought him that second packet of sleeping pills? Or is it a trick question? Did Elvis not actually die? Do you think that Elvis faked his own death? Or do you think that Elvis killed himself because he was the one taking all of this medication? Who killed Elvis Presley? It is 2022. We still don't have answers. Perhaps in 2027, which is not that far away, and the full report is released, perhaps we'll have more information then. Until that day, I will link all of the books that I referenced in the description below, all of the YouTube interviews, and the whole ABC 2020 episode that aired in 1978. I will also link that in the description down below too. And if you like this type of content, don't forget to hit the thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel. You have no idea how helpful just one extra like and one extra subscriber is to the algorithm of YouTube. And I will see you on the next Roots Rockumentary. Hungry for the road all my life. Thirsty for adventure all my youth. Chasing all my friends.